Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dragged into Turbo Lasers, a Between the Bolter and Me podcast. This is episode 67, and I'm your host, Eric Wire, and I'm joined with my two brothers, Adam Wire. Hey, everybody. Greg Wire. Hey, everyone. And I'm excited to say our friend Vince, or perhaps better known as Dark Tech, is with us here tonight as well. Hey, Vince. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, it's good to it's good to have you here, um, and just get an opportunity to talk with you a little bit about some of your work. I feel you're one of the more notable Ink Twenty Eight sort of hobbyists with a very kind of distinct style, and I think it'll be fun to talk a little bit with you sort of about that and um, just some other questions and such. Um, but yeah, I mean, perhaps just with that that in mind, just to get straight off into it we could start with just a general thing of maybe you could talk a little bit about how you got into this hobby and there was sort of a time where you stopped and came back and maybe why you did come back to begin with if mm-hmm. that is the case i feel yeah, that happens and, most of us that's and it's pretty much the exact same for me i played <laughs> back in maybe third or fourth edition i was like back in um I was in middle school. I played. I played. I think every faction at the time. Um, I went through a Eldar phase, an Orc, a Space Marine. I mean, I like played them all. Tyranid. Actually, I think Tyranid is my first, which is pretty funny. Uh, I haven't <laughs> gone back to Tyranids, but who knows? I've always thought about it. Um, and then I played up until maybe a high school, middle of high school, maybe my sophomore year. And then kind of fell off. It was, you know, not the coolest thing to do at the time, right? It was like one of those things. But it sure um, is now. It sure <laughs> is now. Now I'm in my, I came out even to my coworkers about it now. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and so I, I don't know, a couple of years back, maybe it was four or five years back now, um, I was – talking to a friend and the games workshop opened up by his house oh. meanwhile i had seen i had been kind of like certain things would come up i always have warhammer in the back of my mind i like the like the creative part of it the story all of that and then i saw the new skatari models uh, one day like online or something and then we went to the gw store that opened up at my friend's house and i oh, bought a box yeah I was like that's that's it and then <laughs> it's been ever since no i think so. that the, the the release of that like army was i feel a pretty big moment for the hobby because they finally after like a long time started expanding on like the imperial and like mechanicus stuff because i feel like forever it was just space marines and sort of imperial guard so yeah and they yeah. always talked about the Adeptus Mechanicus and like the lore and the books and such. So it was neat for them to try to explore that more and actually make models for them. Yeah, and they kind of went wild and making models of all sorts of stuff, like you know Harlequins. And then like for the Imperial side, they then went and made the uh, Custodes. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know. Maybe we didn't need those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We we got them for better or worse, uh, but I feel the Mechanicus were something that they're such like a cornerstone of 
you know, the Imperium, that it's nice to finally have them. And it was also kind of, I feel, uh, Darren Latham made them, I think. So it was sort of the start of him making a lot of models and like the Gene Stealer cultists mm -hmm. and all those things that were all relatively similar in scale, such mm -hmm. that it really started to facilitate pretty relatively simple kit bashing and conversion to make weird, interesting things like Dark Mechanicum, that yeah. sort of thing. So. Yeah, and, and honestly, this, this Guitari were the first, like, Imperial, I guess, the good guys that I was like, oh, I could, I would play these guys because they don't look like normal, like, super, like, good yeah. guys. They look kind of creepy, and they're, they were steampunky. It literally ticked all the boxes for me to say, all right, I'll buy a box, and let's get back <laughs> into this. And well, well, so with that, like, now you, like, do all sorts of crazy and neat conversions. When you got that first box of Skatari, did you... Were you, like, converting them and stuff, or did you largely assemble them as, as they were? And was so there did, yeah. the desire to, like, play general 40K with them? Yeah. So uh, it I I don't even know what came first. It's kind of a blur, but Iron Sleet, I think their first Invitational maybe came out when I first got back in. It was, like, at the same exact time. Mm -hmm. um, and... So I saw some of those conversions. I had seen some work by like Kari and, you know, like, and then I was on con the, looking at the Convertorum back when yes. that was the yeah. thing. Um, well, he still posts on that a little. Not does he really? Much. I honestly yeah. haven't. I feel like twice a year he posts something. <laughs> <laughs> but so I had started converting right out the bat because I was like these models that these people are making are just so cool so my first Skatari were like they had you know I gave them like the mechanical tentacles I think my alpha did and then I made a one of the Castellan robots I just had like swapped its head out for like a cow skull if are you these some of the first things back, on your Instagram are there pictures of them yeah yeah here oh, they are yeah, they here are. they are hell yeah yeah so, so, uh, so, like, the basic troops maybe are more or less traditional, but, like, if you look, my Alpha had some robe, some tentacles, and I tried to make some just creepy dark mech things. Yeah, well, that's, that's cool. And, I mean, I feel it takes a little while to start really getting into conversions and <laughs> testing the waters. In particular, yeah. if you don't have a wealth of kits and such, you are somewhat limited in like the easier things to do. And with yeah. like one or two boxes, it, it's it's hard to do a huge amount, particularly if you've never really done anything like sculpting, which you know, like yeah. who has right. until you get further into it. Right. But these the, guys were so easy to just even buy a, like a paint scheme and turn them into... Mm-hmm. Evil, like creepy looking mm -hmm. you know. So one yeah. of the things that I always like about them, which I think is sort of funny, is since they have mechanical feet, they're like they're their size a lot better than the typical like forty K combat boot and stuff. So it's like I yeah. feel if you did a little work you could convert them into more reasonably sized like actual <laughs> boots. And like I always like that. Like they kind of have small feet, 
Like, yeah. thank yeah. the Lord. <laughs> and the way that their feet are, you can essentially, like, kind of just chop off the first oh, yeah. chunk of the feet. You know how they have, like, those, like, yeah. three-tiered layered feet? You can kind of just chop that front part off, and you're, mm-hmm. you're pretty Yeah, cool. I mean, I remember around the time when they came out, one of the conversions, uh, the first conversion I did with them, I just, like, cut off um, the leg below the knee and replaced it with the Elysian Drop Troop like legs because they actually have smaller nicer boots and stuff and like it mm-hmm. it works really well um yeah so they're good they're great did you play like games with them yeah we tried to play like my friend had bought or he had like some old space marines or something so we tried to play some iteration of 40k um but and then actually Shortly after this, I got into old Necromunda, and that's where Isaac Weirdingway and I had met. Okay, yeah, that's cool. So you were you playing in a campaign with with Weirdingway? Yeah, yeah, we it was like a short, very short lived, but him and I had then obviously stayed and talked, you know, up until now. That's up yeah, until wow. And now we're you know we see each other every once in a while. Talk about uh, an awesome Inquisitor, or not Inquisitor, Necromunda campaign with Weirding Way, and you, like, the best thing ever, probably. <laughs> it was it was really cool, and at the time, I it was like, he had already changed the way that I was doing conversions. Um, he always talks about breaking things up into smaller blocks, and, yeah. you know, not just swapping an arm, but cut the arm into three pieces, and... So it kind of changed the way, and like you can see them here. I started to kind of mess with parts and change things a little bit, even on these cultists that are based basically on the Empire Flagellants. Well, so why don't we have that kind of emerge into like how do you go about approaching making a miniature? Do you have like uh, an idea of what you want to do? Do you sketch stuff out? Do you start with, all right, I see a part that I think I could do something cool with this? Is it some of all of those? Like, what do you do when you're trying to design something? Yeah, so there's like a huge, for me, I do a little bit of drawing, but not as much as maybe when I first started doing this. Really what I do now is I'll create like an image board and just put together like a, you know, I will shamelessly say I use Pinterest honestly, and it Mm-hmm. It'll. I'll create a board on there, and it'll be like, I don't know, Admech, you know, whatever, new gang, and I'll just start looking for imagery yeah. that I want, you know, this gang to look like. And honestly, you start looking at, like, images, and you can start to put together, like, a, a theme and a mm-hmm. feeling for these models, like, pretty quickly. So I, I, I think doing, you know, that image boards are huge. You know, and even you, you would come up with a couple themes. You have a, I'll have a general idea, and then I'll really flesh it out with kind of doing image searches. Yeah, well, and I think doing stuff like that, I think it'd be a helpful thing also if, if you're trying to set up a like kind of Ink 28 event or whatever, trying to establish a new setting or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And to, I mean, you can obviously write some description of what the setting is, but having some like a mood board type thing with different sort of 
color, you know, colors, yeah, teams, colors, exactly, all that stuff. I think could go a long way to help people sort of get, in, you know, in that mood and sort of the same mindset. Yeah. Um, towards that end, like, do you, is some of that just influenced by like, oh, GW just released this great Necromunda gang, like I need to do something with it? Or are you more restrained? <laughs> no, I, I am really bad about stuff. Like I, I'll impulse <laughs> buy new kits because there's like a sword out of there that I think I could use or something. And so I, uh, I, I literally just bought the, uh, the night haunts with the crazy huge broadswords mm-hmm. because yeah. I was like, Oh man, giving these to some of those, um, <laughs> what are they called? The repentas from the sisters yeah. would be kind of crazy, you know, and like swap out. Their- they would be better looking swords. Yeah. So, and I, <laughs> so I don't know. It's, Sometimes I see a model and from GW and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I can sketch it out in my mind, essentially, because mm-hmm. I've seen so many of the parts. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I can quickly in my head put together a model because I have such an enormous inventory of parts now. <laughs> yeah, I feel for me, often, sometimes as they release stuff, I'll buy some of the kits just because like, I think down the road they'll be important in in like converting stuff because it's it's really yeah. nice to kind of just have some of the stuff to like physically look at because a lot of times um particularly if you go by like just trying to find different shapes and stuff and like sizes like games workshop isn't always super consistent with a lot of that stuff so yeah. being able yeah. to like actually look at all of the stuff is helpful. So like for instance, the little um Eldar pirate that I'm working on, his like little uh pistol there, the little the barrel part that like forks like fans out backwards. That's just I cut off one of the cross guards from one of those blade geist models we were just talking about. Like that's what that is. And then I shaved it down and so like um when I was making that, I started making it's like, oh, I just start looking around for the general shape and stuff to see if I can then like work and build on that. So mm-hmm. it does. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it does sort of suck because like as you start buying all the stuff, like you have to have a place to put it. And I feel like <laughs> now it's more like I have, we have a lot of stuff and it's like, if people like on Instagram and stuff, they're like, "Hey, I'm looking for these pieces or whatever." It's just like I think, well, do we Please have that? Take it. Like, <laughs> sure, we'll send that away. Like, I yeah, it's so. funny. Um, you mentioned that if you do when you're sort of in the creative process making these mood boards, does that also sort of make it? influence your decision on paint schemes and such is that a thing that you're thinking about pretty quickly in the process as you're building them or is it something that comes a little bit later uh it's kind of it it kind of depends honestly there are some Mm -hmm. of my like mood boards and you'll see that like if you were to see them the color scheme is very similar to the colors that you see in those boards the other part is my, I think just my general style is a little bit more, um, there are a lot of neutrals and then mm-hmm. a lot of rust and stuff. So 
So my color schemes tend to all be sort of the same where I could probably put all my models in one location and they would kind of look like an army. <laughs> yeah, you are building a 40k army right now. It's just slowly increasing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isaac, we, he always tells me, and I should have done it this year, he's done it before, to play in like the Adepticon 40k tournaments. Yeah. Because really, I, I could, I'm, and him and I have even talked about playing a 40k game together, just all obviously proxied models and just these insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, that would be pretty neat. <laughs> It might happen. It might happen. Do you have, this is sort of going along with the just creation such, are there any particular large inspirations for you, like in terms of maybe movies, books, art, any of those sorts of things that kind of influence the stuff you're doing? Yeah. And it, like, again, like that, it really depends on the project will depend mm -hmm. on, sort of the imagery I have in mind. Like, I guess I always think of, like, the new Blade Runner, that mm -hmm. rust, like, that scene where they're in um, just, like, essentially those piles of scrap. That's always yeah. in the back of my mind, okay. right? Like, I'm always <laughs> pulling up that image. Yeah. Um, so that's, like, some of it. And even sometimes, like, when I'm doing a bigger ship or something, I'll, I'll look to, like, Star Wars, you know, and their ship design. It just kind of, mm -hmm. it depends on the project, really, though. And then obviously, you know, what's popular at the time, kind of the models that are even the community are creating um, can have huge impacts on the stuff that I start to do. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, too, because I feel like um, Instagram and other social media things have certainly, I feel, helped a lot, inspire a lot of people. And, like, even, like, unknowingly, you'll take, like, influences and stuff from all over the totally. place. Yeah. Wait, so is like Baby Yoda gonna be in, included in one of your models thing? It already is now. <laughs> like way ahead of you, Greg. <laughs> no, no. My girlfriend wants me to do that, to be honest, but oh. I told her I can't do it. Can't, I yeah. won't do it. Theories well, well, already basically did that with his Pilgrim War band. You just couldn't <laughs> see him in there. <laughs> well. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you kind of, when you started, it, it was kind of around the time where Iron Sleet started to maybe did their first invitational mm -hmm. and the convertorum was more actively or was just more active. Yeah. Um, did that then sort of shifted at least partially some of your work to kind of fit into that Ink 28 sort of? Thing like how quickly did you start to actually build war bands and tr think about trying to run your own events? Because at this point you've uh, run a few and certainly been involved in a bunch. Like how mm -hmm. did you kind of get in into that? So I think it, it was. I was always kind of wanted to do. I mean, after seeing the, the Ink Twenty Eight style events. I wanted to do that. That's kind of why I got into Necromunda. It wasn't quite the same. The people we had played with were, you know, the more typical necro like gamer, you know what I mean, as opposed mm -hmm. to the narrative part of it, which is totally fine. It's, you know, people's preference. Um, but it was kind of shortly after. The, the hard part was finding people who also wanted to play in these style games. Um, 
you know, it, like some of the images you were just looking through, they were things that were between Isaac and I. And so they were never a full fleshed out campaign. It was just like, let's create a cool little scenario, right? Yeah. The one I can think of off the top of my head was I had created like a undead tech group that were on some backwater type planet and his navigators crashed, you know, into <laughs> that planet. And yeah. so we kind of played it off like that. And it was, it was like a single game with some custom rules <clears throat> that we made up on the spot. Um, so That's it was, cool. you know, it, it was kind of one of those things. It was, and then all this, I don't know what inspired me to say, let me try to cram like eight grown men and a thousand tables into my tiny apartment. (laughs) (laughs) A sensible thing to do. Yeah. Some like stroke of insanity happened for me. And I said, let's do it. Let's invite everyone over or, you know, a bunch of people over to try to play this, you know, actual game here. And that was that Marsolum game. That was kind of the first one I had hosted. Yeah. And you had, when you started to build some, some of that terrain and such, was that always sort of, in the back of your head that you wanted to um, invite people and do that? Or was it just something that you started to do and eventually realized why not? Yeah, it was like that. It was, it went the other way. It was like, I would, the Marsolum group was born people. There was a group of people who wanted to create this. So I said, okay, I'll just make a bunch of stuff for myself because I like doing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe Isaac will come over. Or maybe I can convince one of my friends to come over and we'll like just, use this terrain and then i started making so much of it that it was like i could probably host an event and then it happened for the people that maybe aren't familiar with marsolum can you like vince describe like the setting behind it yeah it was like a water i mean essentially it was a water world for 40k um there were some like great floods that had happened the whole place the whole planet is covered in water now so there's like these remnant cities and things coming out of the water um all very ramshackle and you know the traditional post-apocalyptic style maybe kind of borderlandsy i don't know yeah Um, yeah so that's that was this setting um you can see it's not as one of the things you know that i kind of reflected on after is it doesn't necessarily read as 40k it kind of just reads as traditional sci-fi post-apocalyptic um and so more of my builds since then have been trying to you know mix in more traditional 40k themes well in Um, some sense i think it's kind of uh i mean it's not like super futuristic like cyberpunky sort of stuff so i feel mm -hmm. that is good but i mean the universe is a big place like i don't think every single planet has the exact same yeah. sector mechanicus terrain, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So I feel the fact that you were kind of brave and went into creating this terrain without like, what's all these plastic pieces I can get and yeah. modify them slightly. I think that is sort of refreshing. That yeah. You oh. kind of took some scale model stuff and all sorts mm-hmm. of different things and then took a lot of kind of scale modeling, weathering techniques, Mm-hmm. and sort of merge them. I feel you were one of the first people that I saw really readily trying to apply some of those techniques to 40K, which I mean, it, like a lot of people do it now, but I, I don't mm-hmm. think 
it was maybe as widespread as it as it is now back when you were doing it and i think that that's neat yeah, how was it actually playing on the the board like i feel <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Any of those sorts of even Necromunda with like the different le- levels and all that stuff, it can be challenging to actually have space to move models around, totally. and <laughs> that I assume had to have come up at least to a point. Yeah, and it, it's like funny you create this huge thing, and then like the majority of the people are like killing each other down at that little tiny flat area yeah, like not even touching yeah. anything else you know what i mean like that's how these games go it's you spend all this time making this intricate terrain and then people like hang out and die on a bridge yeah. that you spent four minutes on <laughs> um, <laughs> like i'm not fucking going up there to that tall little place exactly like, I won't like not shoot anyone there. Like, I won't why would like, i go there it'll like <laughs> exactly. it'll take like four turns just to climb up there because of how these rules work. Exactly. It's like exactly yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so as again, something I learned from there is like trying to make terrain look cool and playable is like a pretty tough mm-hmm. balance. And I feel like if it's too playable, then, you know, like you have, some, it, like you can't get as detailed as, and mm-hmm. intricate and weird levels and things. And, but you know, um, Weirding Way made a flying whale creature for one of those games. Can you describe, like, how that played into it or, like, yeah. maybe the story behind the game that incorporated that or even a neat story that came out of one of the games? Yeah, I'll try to... So, the way that... that actually, the way that game was played was pretty interesting, and it set the groundwork for Carrion Pass. But what we had done was we created this essentially like a runway of um, water like table pieces, and they were super narrow. It was probably twenty four inch, twenty four inches by like I don't know six feet long or something. And the way the board would work was like a scrolling board. Okay. So like we'd yeah. move the terrain back, kind of like a Gorka Morka style thing. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it was like a whale hunt. Um, <laughs> And so we were, you know, Isaac had created these really cool rules for the whale with, like, you'd be able to target its fins and its, like, different weapons. Essentially, its different abilities were different weapons. So, like, you could shoot at its tail and disable the tail. So it was a really cool event, and it was, I don't remember if we did a free-for-all, if we did teams, but everyone had, like, a secret objective that I had I'd come up with a bunch of objectives. Um, and the objectives would, would be, um, they would like, they would force people to interact. So Mm -hmm. one objective was kill the whale. The other one was like, you know, someone, and someone would get that and someone else would say, you know, someone else would be fight the, or kill the, the whale poachers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so you would get some people defending the whale that way, or then, you know, someone else with something simple, like, you know come in and steal the whale carcass, that sort of thing. <laughs> they were like these sort of things that would force people to interact. Um, so it was cool. It was a fun event. Yeah, no, that that sounds cool. And yeah, I guess since then, you've been involved in a bunch of kind of the Ink 28 stuff going on at Adepticon, like the Palantine Spires, Carrying Pass, like you mentioned, right? Um, and 
all of those probably played out a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I guess is an interesting thing I feel about a lot of these sort of 28 events. Like the rule systems kind of change a bunch based yeah. on what's popular at the time or just what rules people vaguely remember. <laughs> yeah. And it's like they always tend to, they use like Necromunda as a core and then it's constantly changing these like side rules with carrying past probably being the most elaborate re-rule like re- new rule set mm-hmm. um there was all kinds of crazy movement c- mechanics and stuff that were created based on like x-wing and yeah, yeah. things like that it was it was pretty cool and then even jolita had some pretty like it was used Necromunda as its core, but then there were all kinds of rules for the mechs and points mm-hmm. and that sort of thing um, to build these mechs because it was really more of a mech-based game. So every game has been a pretty cool learning experience, and I, I think honestly the games have gotten better and better every single mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. The, you know, it's more fun, and most of the time you realize the more rules you have, the actual less fun people have because <laughs> most people just want to roll dice and like mm-hmm. see their models in a cool backdrop. And yeah. Talk about you know, what particularly because it's not like it's your weekly gaming group and you're going to keep yeah. doing it. And like, you want that all that depth because it's, they're usually sort of single events. Even if you provide like sort of rules, pamphlets or whatever, not everyone necessarily reads them or have different levels of exposure to the various base games that it, it can be challenging. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. you brought up Jalita. We actually had, uh, Majos Bure on the podcast, I don't know, a few episodes ago and he talked at length about the sort of narrative elements that he put in place for the game and all, all that sort of stuff that I don't think there was a, a particularly great way to learn about that until sort of he talked about it just because a lot of the coverage was just through Instagram, which is, you know, kind of difficult to convey large uh, amounts of information. I kind of wonder, since you kind of hosted this, the second part of this Jolita story, um, how did how did you kind of work with Bjor to sort of continue that story and, you know, impart narrative stuff into the event? Yeah, so um, we, him and I had been kind of in contact we had a group of people i think there was someone from there was some someone else from the uk as well in the um in the group and essentially cody magos viewer was creating these he had written up essentially this big narrative that mm-hmm. he um had in his that happened in the utah event and all these outcomes from that um that he had then sent to me and essentially I was trying to guide then the story of what had happened with those weird mutant guys that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and essentially the, there were two outcomes for them in my sit in my game, um, at, at my event. And one was they breach the walls of the, um, of Marus, the city that that's that huge wall that I had built, 
Um, and if they breach the wall, they send a uh, communication up or it, it sends the, um, the, the people in the town send a communication up. It's like a last futile attempt to say, like, there's some insane chaos um, mm-hmm. going on here. And essentially the planet gets nuked. Uh, the Imperium gets the message and blows up the, the whole planet. <laughs> Exterminative. Um, exactly. And then the if they are hold off at the gate, um, I forgot what happened, what the other outcome was, but essentially it was the same thing. So either way, the planet gets nuked. Um, but And then the next setting was then based on like a post-apocalyptic Jolita. Where, okay. like everything's in ruins. Um, I think, but then aside from that, there was a lot of just other lore that had gone into these, um, those like mutants that weren't necessarily, you know, Cody was trying to express they weren't necessarily chaos in the way that we think of it. And they, mm-hmm. were, like, it was like a, a mutation that was, um, it like, caused themselves harm, and it, there was it was very deep. Actually, I wish I could remember more of it, um, but I think it's something that he plans on releasing that Jolita Codex. Um, maybe you can talk him into putting at least some of that background into. Yeah, I think that would be exciting. Yeah, just to hear more of kind of the lore because there's talk with talking with him as well. It was clearly a lot of lore there which i think adds a lot of exciting depth to all the cool miniatures but i guess for the jolita stuff you made a whole ton of awesome mechs and a big wendigo sort of thing can you tell me something about that yeah the um so these those yeti big um there's actually two of them Mm -hmm. and they were like an npc that ran through um, two of the events. One of them was um, in one event, there was actually like a Yeti sort of hunt. And then in the second event of the day, they uh, came out of the ground. Like they were summoned by chaos and came out of the snow and tore everything apart. Essentially (laughs) there. Yeah, that's cool. Um, One thing, like I think, from what I remember talking to Cody about it, in the first event that he had that he had held, there really wasn't any like traditional like chaos forces and stuff, and that only really mm-hmm. started to come to light in the event that you had shown, and like that was one of the things that I thought was particularly striking and cool about some of the stuff you had made. Like you made a series of walkers, some of which were very clearly like had a lot of like chaos influences and stuff, but they, yeah. um, all of it was sort of pitched or presented in a way that kind of has more of a, a less comical horror and a less comical chaos vibe than what you, I feel like typically see in like 40 K yeah. there's sort of like a, like almost like a horrifying like barbarism and stuff to the models that I think really kind of like helps elevate the setting and make it like when you see some of these, it's like, Oh shit, this is like serious and not like feel most not fleshy hell brutes and the obliterators and such. I'm glad it gave that, um, that 
sort of feeling because that's really what I wanted. And so essentially the whole thing with Jolita is like it's it's this very depressing planet, right? And so even the idea behind this is like even the chaos gods have essentially turned their back on their followers here. So this it, it's kind of like a, you know, I, I didn't even know what to align this with. It's kind of just, I don't know, maybe unaligned. But mm-hmm. it's like sort of nerdly, right? Because it's like decrepit and, and torn apart. But it's it, it's really more derelict and it's yeah. almost sad, right? It's like crying. The, the skull is like crying blood. It looks mm-hmm. like it's in pain. Like it's like this slow walking, lumbering thing. Um, and I just wanted it to look essentially like it had been abandoned. Yeah, you know, I like all these chaos. Yeah, yeah, I like how it also looks sort of like it was a functional thing that they could have actually used before kind of the chaos manifested itself. But then the fact that once it did start to manifest itself, it's not like all the inhabitants know, like the corn loves like skulls and this is what all all corn followers (laughs) look like, you know, that it would manifest different ways based on kind of the cultures there and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. which um, admittedly, even like Warcry, their newer setting, there were all those kind of just different chaos cultist tribes and whatnot. And they all kind of, they're all chaotic, but they're sort of manifested in different ways. And I think that's sort of refreshing. Like it doesn't, they don't have to be cookie cutter, the four different gods. And I think this is a, it was a good way of kind of depicting that slow downturn in, into chaos. So good thank you thank you i think it's also interesting like you also like play around with like sort of like lighting and like it looks like you actually put like lights and stuff in some of like the mechs and stuff and i think that um kind of also like kind of helps add kind of a weird like haunting like luster and stuff to a lot of the stuff um yeah what inspired you to try to string those lights up and whatnot. So <laughs> all my models are, well, not all of them, but I love the gimmicky stuff, like adding lights mm-hmm. to my models. I just think it adds a lot of, like, I, I don't know, character to the, even in the game. It's yeah. a little bit more immersive. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who's played with me knows I like love making the, if something like breaks or dies or one of these mechs blows up, I always do like the, tea light with the smoke like cotton coming out of it you know yeah, yeah um so i just think it's a fun way to just a little add a little bit more immersion really um for the immersion aspect like even i think you spend a lot of time taking good sort of moody photographs um which i think helps just people looking at you know your the instagram pictures and such helps them kind of get immersed in it even if they're obviously like not at the games themselves like Mm -hmm. do you spend a lot of time with photography and thinking about how you want to do that sort of thing kind of yeah um i can't say like i'm a photographer you know and as a hobby or anything but i for me because i play so few games Mm -hmm. like i like showing a story through these little you know, through the photography, through the these moody pictures, it like again, it sort of like creates a mood board, yeah, you know, yeah for yeah. everyone, 
right? Even for myself, I, I can, like when I create these pictures, it's, it just kind of tells like a little story in itself right there. Um, and I like that a lot. And I just, the more confident I've become with my work, the more I trying to make them look like they could be in a movie or like a backdrop in the movie or something. Yeah, that's a cool idea. And I feel like it sort of helps um, bring to life some of the ideas and like, um, make it seem like it's not just a miniature war game. Like you're building a setting, making characters, making something memorable beyond just some little toy soldiers. Right. I mean, and because ultimately I play, like I said, so little, or, you know, I, I probably, I spent so much time and energy thinking about <laughs> Warhammer and like planning things out and honestly, yeah, time, energy yeah. and money, let's be honest. And it's like, so for me, it's like they're the, what I lack in the actual gaming and using the things for what it's for. It's like I create these little scenes and that makes me happy for a short time. And then I'm like, okay, let's make a new scene and yeah, <laughs> a new story. Yeah. So. No, I hear that. Uh, that's cool. I like that. Um, would you like to, like you're going to be at least participating in, one of the events at this upcoming Adepticon. Do you have any words about that or if people are going to be at Adepticon, what to look out for, that sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. So about the setting, I can't speak to too much because it's pretty open. Um, but there is, there are more recently, there's been a couple rules packets and things that have been developed about it. There's also kind of a generic or not generic, but like a general setting, um, that this all takes place in, um, in terms of what to look for. And, you know, if you're going to Adepticon, um, the way that it's going to be set up is everyone's going to be playing on these small two by two boards. So I think it will be probably the most, um, not accepting, but essentially if you want to join and play just a couple games, you can, because the style of the setting is really this, everyone who's bringing a board will create their own few special rules for the board mm -hmm. and then you can play on this two by two board and you can either be done or uh, you know maybe we'll have some rollover effects from one game to yeah. another um, well can people bring their own models or is it you are providing the models for them to use so that is I mean <laughs> I guess really I have enough war bands and things that I could bring and I probably will bring more than just the ones I plan on using um, so I'd say if you're if you want to play, you only have a couple models. Um, I can help fill out the rest of your war band because I have a billion. Um, but the general idea is that people would come with their own war band at the very um, least. Th is this like do you know what's this? Um, I'm gonna say setting called. Oh yeah, I think uh, War of Sylvania actually put it in the yep. uh, chat here. Relicta Stellis Stellis. Is is this event, like, is it, like, one of the official ones that people kind of buy tickets to, or mm -hmm. is it more like an open gaming thing? So hopefully I don't get busted for saying this, but I've never signed up for any official Adepticon event <laughs> in the last three or four years. I just go and hang out at the tables. Um, I'm pretty uh, sure that that's fine. It's a, a, only if you want to like take a class or whatever, you have to get like a ticket, but like open yeah. gaming and stuff or play yeah. in one of the tournaments or something. Right. Which I've never done. And I'm not even on the official. So there is an official um, 
Inc. 28 event at Adepticon, which is pretty cool um, that it's expanding into kind of more mainstream, I guess. Um, but I'm not a part of it. I just, they filled up so quickly. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, models there. And it mm-hmm. ultimately is a nice way just to sort of network and meet other people who are interested yeah. in this sort of smaller aspect of the um, games workshop hobby. And also, you know, maybe meet some people that you already have been following on Instagram. And I think that's kind of a nice way to realize that the community is, is pretty welcoming. And I, I think that that's, that's neat. And I guess maybe almost speaking a little to that, do you have any sort of input or thoughts on how to go about sort of getting involved in Inc. 28 events or that sort of thing based on kind of how you started it or any sort of tips that you might want to say? Yeah. So I would say as a general rule that the Inc. 28 like community, at least at all these Adepticon events have just been super great people and super open and really willing to kind of let anyone join and hear about what's going on. I mean, just the number of people who come up at Adepticon and ask what's going on. It's like, we might as well have like a, you know, a, a ready response. Cause there's so many, um, if you want to get involved in any of these things, really, it's just like, re- don't hesitate to reach out to the people that are you know, yeah. hosting yeah. the events. Um, if you don't think you can make it, people are really good about, you know, sending in, if you want to send an NPC and you just want to see it on the board and like kind of be part of the uh, experience that way, that's totally doable. I know for, like Jolita, we had a huge, huge number of people sending stuff in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, I felt like I played more with other people's models than my <laughs> own in that event. Um, but it was pretty cool. We actually did. I think we got every, we got everyone's models who had sent them in involved in the game somehow. And so that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I think that, I think maybe people are nervous about reaching out or don't know, you know, I don't know if it's, I think they think it's an exclusive thing. And most, I would say majority of situations, people are, it's just an event that was created and the people that were invited were just because they were in contact already. Right. Like these events that keep happening, it's like, Every year at Adepticon, the group expands, and that group <laughs> continues to make new games. Like I think, yeah, yeah. At the end of Carrion Pass, we like went out for dinner or drinks or something after, and we're already talking about the next event, right? Like it's, and then everyone's included in that next event. This, and that's why this most this year's Adepticon is like this pretty inclusive big event that is open for everyone to play. Yeah, so I think nah, that's kind yeah. of a neat way to try and encourage more people to like start and become involved because certainly um, a lot of the events that traditionally, the Inc. 28 events traditionally have been like a pretty close-knit group of people, but I feel as it's, as the years have gone by, it's like expanded a lot to like allow other people to join in and send stuff. And I feel now the notion... Of at some of the larger like gaming conventions, just people setting up like events and stuff there. It's kind of nice because um, 
that is a pretty could be a pretty accessible way to like get in and start doing some of the stuff if you already are yeah. sort of like interested in stuff like that and going yeah. to different events. Because yeah, like a lot of people that are involved in this hobby, like at least if you're in the United States, like Adepticon's a pretty big convention anyway, mm-hmm. such that um, it's it seems like it's a, it's a nice place to hold these sorts of things because a lot of people are already coming or yeah. there's all just a lot of information about hotels and places to stay, that sort of yeah. thing. So I think that's neat. And I mean, yeah. I guess admittedly too, with the, like the Inc. 28 magazine that actually you were kind of involved in, I think that's mm-hmm. also maybe been a helpful thing for yeah. this as well. Just, there's something you can kind of point to that people could kind of read about and learn a little bit about yes, um, what this is sort of about, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe we can like ask a few more questions here sure. um, before we sort of wrap this up. Um, maybe this is shifting gears a bit, but um, is there like, when like converting or painting is there one particular tool or paint or something that like you really gravitate towards and is like you really like a lot and would encourage other people to use or to consider yeah so um i use a lot and well maybe a little bit less than i used to but weathering powders i'm pretty big on i think they add a really cool texture um, well, and that's actually a good like how do you apply the pigments and how do you like fix them or that sort of thing so it depends and i i will tell you right now i don't even know if i don't even think i'm doing it right <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, but it's far. worked for me this far but um essentially so it depends if i'm doing like a super rusty area um corners on a bigger type models i'll like dump a bunch of super glue and then kind of stipple on mm-hmm. weathering powders with like a really crappy brush yeah um and it kind of creates like this gross grimy gritty texture mm-hmm. so that's one way i'll apply weathering powders another way i'll do it is like i will um wet a brush and mix weathering powder with like a little bit of paint mm-hmm. and i'll like brush it on so it goes on super thick and then it dries um like it looks like caked on mud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's another way. And then sometimes I'll just take like a floofier brush and I'll put it in the weathering powder and I'll like uh, apply to the bottoms of the model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of sticks if like the brush is a little bit damp. The problem is, I guess over time, it could wear off. I've had mixed results with spraying my models at, at the end with like a matte varnish. Yeah. The issue with that is that sometimes it, it kind of takes everything down a couple notches. Yeah. Yeah. Now, cause I feel the, the nice thing about the pigments is it, it adds that sort of different texture and look, and it's not just yeah. like this. And that's, if you put that on and then just spray it with a thick coat of matte varnish, it just like kind of removes the effect. Like paint again. Yeah. And I think that's also like, if you mix the pig- pigments too much with other like acrylic, paints or washes or whatever that can also sometimes minimize it but like i think particularly if you're not like you know playing with the models in tournaments all the time like 
you probably, like you sort of suggested, don't even necessarily have to fix it at all. Right. Like, I mean, it'll slowly maybe work itself off. But I mean, let's be honest, a lot of us are just kind of displaying these models. So Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I can say right now I have like all of my models, I've, I've never used a traditional fixative. The most I've done is this matte varnish thing. Mm-hmm. And they all look just as rusty and grimy as when I first made them. So, yeah, yeah. You know. But no, I think they're, they're, it's, it's another thing that is kind of fun to work with and it can add, oh yeah, mm-hmm. a nice, a different texture such that it's not yep. like every single surface looks exactly the same. Like, do you have a brand, a brand of pigments that you get? They're like, because probably some of, or some listeners maybe haven't used them at all. Yeah, so I use a lot of Vallejo, and then I've got this one by Humbrol that I've honestly been, it's like kind of my most um, most used one. I got it on, I think, Amazon, but it's just a it's hum, Humbrol weathering powder, um, and it's, I think, Dark Earth, uh, and this is probably the one I use the most. Like, if you looked at this, you would, I mean, all my models are kind of covered, covered in it. <laughs> It's like this really nice dark brown, mm-hmm. and it mixes really nice with black. H U M B R O L Humbrol. Yep. All right. Yeah, the ones I have a bunch of Vallejo ones because they were the easiest ones to find where yeah. I am. But I mean, I think ultimately, almost any company that makes they're basically the same thing. They're just the pigments without. <laughs> like any yeah. sort of binding in it. But yeah. So yeah, that that's cool. And I think it certainly is worth experimenting with. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you used, do you use any like oils or enamels and stuff like that? I've said I was going to use oils since, I don't even know, a couple of, weeks, a couple of Depticons ago. <laughs> and I just haven't done it. Yeah. Um, so... But I, I'd like to. I think I'd really like them, and everyone tells me I'd really like them, so I just need to do it. It's just one of those things where I've, I feel like I'm getting really comfortable with my current techniques. Mm-hmm. And so then to add, like, a new variable in there is like, well, am I going to screw something up? And chances are probably not. I well, I feel with the it. oils, the chance of you screwing anything up is very minimal because you mm-hmm. can, with, like, will you add a little of the oil somewhere, and then you kind of spread that around and thin it with, like, a thinner, so, like, you can almost take most of it off and it doesn't dry very quickly either. So you have a uh-huh. lot of, there's a lot, a lot of working, of working time and room with it. So it, I haven't used them a ton, but I've certainly started sometime, like if I want to do like weathering and stuff on like armor and I don't want like cute text, like a ton of like visible texture and stuff, oils and enamels and stuff work really well for that and then like yeah, I feel nice. you could then let all of that kind of settle and dry and then if you still wanted to add just a little more you could then go and add some pigments and stuff here and there so like I think it could eat pretty easily complement what essentially what anyone's already doing with like their painting and stuff I guess towards that end like I've in working on this one uh, Zone Mortalis tile. And most of the kind of weathering stuff I did were with some enamels and oils. Cause like trying to huh. use like Nuln oil or any of those acrylic washes 
on like a large flat surface is kind of terrible because they dry so quickly that it's so you so easily get tied marks and things like that particularly if any of the paint if it's like a matte paint without like it's just so hard to apply anything well whereas with like oils you can apply or an enamel you can put a whole lot of it on and then just kind of basically remove it all with like white spirits or thinner and it, it you just have so much more control and like it's hard to ruin anything which is really nice yeah it's easier yeah. to go back and forth without just, having honestly, to repaint i just didn't even know like what brand i know i think i've heard mig i think that's right yeah. i feel yeah tell me about that the easiest ones I feel to find are either Ammo of MIG or AK Interactive, at least in the United States anyway. Yeah. And probably AK Interactive is the easiest, but most of them I've just ordered stuff on Amazon. So, so one thing, like, so MIG makes these, like, what they call these little, like, oil brushers where they have, yeah. like, a little yeah. vial, and they work super well because you don't have to squeeze out paint or whatever. You just dab a little bit randomly around on the model and it's all nicely contained and then you can go back with like older brushes and thinner and stuff that feel like I have a bunch of like tubes of like oil paints and stuff which work well they work well but it's a lot easier to just like waste like like tons of it because like once you once it's out of the bottle it's it's out of the bottle. And a little bit goes a long way too, since you're gonna yeah. probably thin it a bunch. So well, yeah, so I'm gonna I would say it. it's worth it's worth trying. My guess the question I have for you, have you considered using uh like uh, any something other than super glue yet? The last time I talked to <laughs> you waiting I for it. <laughs> had the discovery that you had like never used like, you know, extra thin cement or something like that I and i was just, kind of taken aback i just bought plastic glue no joke it's in the mail it's on the way to my house okay for the first time it's like oh shit going on on their podcast they're gonna ask about this <laughs> i i'm not kidding i was like i have to do this because if i don't do it i'm gonna get booed off <laughs> so i think yeah. it'll you'll like it well, you don't really have to feel too bad because I feel for me, like most of my hobby life has been spent just using super glue. And only in the last few years have I started using plastic glue. And I mean, even now, like I use it sparingly. Um, but what, so one of the more interesting things that I've, I don't even remember why I started doing it, but if you get like, like Tamiya makes this like extra thin cement, a little bottle and it has like a tiny little brusher. Um, I've found if you sculpt something with like green stuff and such, once it's hardened, I will often put a thin layer of that over, over what I sculpted and that kind of like, almost like gives it more of like a matte finish to it. And I find it's easier to like look at stuff. And so I've just started doing that. And that's not even using it as like glue or anything. Um, but on top of that, if you are gluing certain plastic things together, it gives you a nice, more, a little more play 
in attaching some things. Um, you do have to be careful. It's not always the best if you're gluing really tiny things because if you're if you add too much of the stuff, it will start melting stuff. And if you apply yeah, too yeah. much pressure, like it can be bad. <laughs> you can just like mash the piece, right? Or like yeah. whatever. Yeah, and then like um yeah, yeah. melted plastic will like start bubbling out of the sides and stuff kinda. <laughs> um that but yeah, you have to be careful. So for instance, on that um the dark the like Eldar guy that I'm working with, mm-hmm. if when I glue the little top barrel part to the gun, like there I use um the plastic glue because you can you can place it on and like I'm really really particular about trying to get everything sort of straight and everything or as straight as I can do with something so small. Yeah. And if you here, if I added too much of the stuff, like you probably would have it could have easily ruined everything. But it works better. Like if I use super glue here, you'll add a bunch of the super glue and you place it and if you didn't place it right it's going to be hard to pry them apart without bending yeah. or destroying whatever small thing you made. So it's it's interesting because I use plat- or super glue, and it, it looks like Eli said the same thing, but, like, I'll use super glue because it's not as permanent in my mind. So no, no, I, I understand like when that. I'm, you know, like, I, I feel like if it's if it's something bad, I can just break it apart super easy, whereas plastic glue, like, don't you, you create a stronger bond. Yeah, you melt that yeah. shit together. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh, like, my, in so my experience final. with the plastic glue, it really depends on how done how you go about it. Like, if you yeah. use a lot of the thin, thin cements and stuff, that like, that's typically the only thing I really use. That is, like, it's sucked into, like, the seams and stuff. And then the majority of the seal is around the edge. So if you still have to break something off, it's often not that hard to do. It's just you'll break it off and then it'll look a little different than like the than the super glue. But most of the time you can still pretty easily get the stuff apart unless you really like Push them together. Yeah. Push them together and put a lot of the the glue there. Like GW and Games Workshop and other stuff. Like um, I have this like liquid cement for plastic models made by Model Master. This it has mm-hmm. like a little like a little aluminum applicator tip. Applicator tip Ooh, and that okay. is that's this is just serious shit. Like you would put some <laughs> on. And this really melts the fuck out of stuff. And if you, yeah. you put a little dab to glue an arm on, then that is going to be a lot harder to get get stuff off. Yeah. But if you're using it more sparingly with like the little applicator brush for some of this thin cement, this it yeah. still gives you a little more flexibility um, to take stuff apart. And particularly if you're working on really small things, like I was showing you with this Eldar model, it's much easier to just, you take the little applicator brush out, dab off almost all of the glue, and then just paint a tiny amount on, and then you put the two pieces together, and already it starts to sort of cling together, 
but not in like mm-hmm. a permanent way. So yeah, it's good. Well, yeah. we okay. can probably stop waxing on about how great it is, and you'll just have to. <laughs> I'll tell you use what: if, I, if my next models look like a big Nurgle blob of just melted plastic, I'm coming for you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> those motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah well no i'm sure it'll be fine yeah Yeah. um maybe as a last like question do you have any other than like kind of your adepticon stuff do you have any other kind of projects that you're excited or thinking about doing in 2020 yeah so there is another one which is kind of making it difficult for me to focus on what i'm supposed to be doing right now aside (laughs) from a slow burn sisters uh battle type Mm-hmm. army that I'm kind of playing with, like maybe they're touched with chaos. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there's a, an event that's going to be held with about like essentially kind of like a shadow of Colossus type event. So oh. it's going to have these massive, massive uh, terrain slash beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to, the way I see it is going to be similar to kind of like the, um, what was the event that happened in the UK with like the, what was one of the ships, like the Rotberg? It was like all of the big, huge walkers. Rotsum Secundus or something like that called Mm -hmm. that, yeah. So the way, I I think it's going to be kind of like that, only in a AOS 28. Okay. So that will be coming more, um, I think after Adepticon. That sounds cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really pumped for that. And it'll be cool because AOS has kind of not been touched still, even though, with, you know, there's the groups for it and everything. It's it's kind of one of those things. Yeah, it's not really as calm and Ink yeah. 28 and such. But with Warcry, I've heard, I haven't played Warcry yet. I have all the stuff for it, of course, but I haven't played. Um, <laughs> Ever, like everyone. <laughs> like everyone, yeah. I, I've heard it's, it's kind of fun, so, and not that hard yeah. to play. I've played, okay. like, six or so games um, uh-huh. of it. Like, I'm, I play with a group of people here. Um, it's pretty Obviously good. not me. Yeah? Yeah, obviously <laughs> not my brothers. I'm not playing with them. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it's pretty good. Um the games are pretty fast. Like nearly all of them either three or four turns. So like you have very well-defined objectives that change between the games sort of randomly most of the time. It seems like the rule system is simple and quick. And I think just that aspect of it, I think could maybe be modified for an Inc. 28 thing, just yeah. such that it's not so bogged down and like what are these special rules what is this it's more just symbols a few simple things not just like oh roll the hit roll the wound roll the save like the fact that that's all streamlined into one roll i could see that system being nice for yeah these sorts of narrative games because it's more focused on quickly doing fun cool things crazy stuff happening and playing more games rather than just one long game that takes eight hours and <laughs> so yeah 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 but who knows we'll we'll see we'll see yeah. but i guess perhaps with that do you have any uh last things you'd like to say anything you'd like to plug or um 
yeah, anything like that. <laughs> I'd say the only thing I have to plug is maybe I'll say Adepticon. If you're on the fence about going, um, just go. Honestly, um, if you're worried about not being officially signed up for any event, still go. It's worth it just going to meet the people in real life, like the Inc. 28 mm-hmm. community, um, because it's really pretty cool to be so immersed in a group of people that are just equally obsessed with like weird cool bits and making (laughs) weird little models um and i think it seems like it's pretty unlike some of the other just general community because it's so based on like the art side and the narrative side and so it just Mm -hmm. it, it attracts a pretty interesting group of people um so definitely if you're thinking about going and you're on the fence go well, so that's a, a good thing to know because that was something that we were wondering about because this, I think, will be our first year going to Adepticon. Did we need to buy tickets for shit? And it it's appears like, like it no. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I've never done it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's, that's refreshing. And, like, the thing, kind of as you said, too, like I'm most excited about just meeting up with old friends and meeting new people and all that, I think is like an exciting aspect of, of it. So, and it's just seeing people's models in person and being able to talk to people right then and there instead of over a, you know, Instagram or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. it's really cool. You learn a ton. Every time we meet up as a group, I just feel like I'm constantly learning new techniques and thinking about new ways to do things. So it's really cool. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's great. That's great. It's coming up fast. You better start working on your warband. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I mean, I likewise. A ramshackle group of stuff that had been half started for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess if anyone isn't following you, they can you know, follow you at Dark Tech on Instagram and maybe start slowly seeing some of what will end up being there. So I, yeah. I can't imagine too many people listening to our podcast wouldn't already be following you, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I guess with that, thanks for uh, joining us on this podcast here. It was really nice to hear your insight and just, yeah, just talk to you about the hobby and uh, Ink 28 and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm. it was honestly a lot of fun to be here and talk to you guys. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, um, hopefully we can have you on again sometime, maybe even yeah. like after Adepticon to debrief and talk about how everything went. I'd yeah. totally do that. That'd be a fun one. Yeah. But all right. Again, yeah. Thank you for joining us and everybody keep enjoying the hobby and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye.